This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Willard Martin. He wrote a dictionary with definitions based on consonants to help language make sense to kids with learning disabilities. Committed to his career as a learning disability specialist, Martin is equally passionate about theater, which hooked him in college. Deeply rooted in the village of Esperance, Martin, as a member of the Esperance Historical Society, helped form the Hysterical Players for a bicentennial production in 2018. He loved the way the people from all walks of life set aside their differences and came together to reminisce and have a good time. The new tradition goes on. Welcome, Willard. Thank you. Good to be here. Yeah, I think our close readers will be familiar with him because he had this wonderful letter to the editor in our paper last week in which he was looking for a leading man, he said. So tell us a little about the hysterical players. (laughs) (laughs) Well, we got started uh, three years ago, 2018, when we did our first production. And it was uh, a part of a celebration for the uh, Esperance Bicentennial. We decided we would do a, a remake of a show that was done by our ancestors in 1938. Um, one, of our, one of our members of the Hysterical Society, Hysterical Society found a script in uh, possessions that she inherited from her mother. She didn't even know her mother had ever been in a play. Um, and it was my name was brought up as somebody who might be able to uh, to pull that off. And quite frankly, the script I wasn't really taken by it. It um, it's hard for a 1938 play to uh, the needs of today's audience. And so we we fooled around with the script quite a bit. We the main thing that we did, I say the main thing, one of the more important things we did was we changed the name to the characters to represent the people who were in the show in nineteen thirty-eight. So ancestors of those people could uh, watch the show and easily keep track of who did what back in the day. Um and we shortened it quite a bit. We shortened it quite a bit. I, I believe it was like uh, two and a half hours, the original script, and we, we, we got it down to uh, an hour and a half, maybe a little bit longer than that. Well, it's just so remarkable that you would take this on. Tell us a little about both the Historical Society and particularly who came up with the name Hysterical Players. I just think that's wonderful. <laughs> Oh, well, we thought it was just going to be a one uh, a one shot deal. Uh, we thought we were just going to do do the play and that'd be it. But somebody made a joke that uh, maybe we should uh, do that again next year. And um, I guess I can't take a joke. It, uh, we, we, decided, <laughs> we decided we would try it again. So the, the name Hysterical, um, it was it was mentioned that we really should stick to comedies. It was a wonderful, wonderful uh, uh, village-wide experience to have people from all walks of life 
uh, coming together and laughing and not thinking about politics and just reminiscing and having a good time. And uh, especially since we're only going to be doing one show a year, um, without, you know, kind of write it in the charter, not that we have a charter, that we would would make do comedies. And the, the Hysterical Society often joked about it being uh, the hyster Historical Society often joked about it being an hysterical society anyway. So we just, it was pretty easy to adopt that name. So who is in this historical society as opposed to the hysterical players? Like just describe some <laughs> of the, the, you know, the members, the people that care about the history of Esperance. Oh, our, our present president and uh, one of the founding fathers, or I'm not sure, I think he was right on the ground floor. He was, he had been there right from the beginning. Ken Jones was very, very interested in history from being a very young boy. He lived next door to an older man and he just, he just pumped in for all the information he could get. Um, and it's really because of him that we took our schoolhouse a lot of us went to school at this one-room schoolhouse that's now the museum. Um, actually, I suppose it's technically a two-room schoolhouse. And that's that the core of the, the core of the group. We have one person, in fact, the person who found the script actually lives in Cohoes. But she comes out regularly to uh, work and help out with the museum. Um, And then there, there, there's people like me who grew up in the area and still live not too far away that uh, are active in, in trying to keep the keep the memories alive. So what is it about Esperance that it has this draw? You've moved to Cobleskill. This woman's moved to Cohoes, is going through her mother's <laughs> effects and finds this script. And what? Tell us a little about. It's the village of Esperance, right? That it's, was founded in nineteen eight or eighteen eighteen. Nope, am I right? Eighteen eighteen. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. A special little thing, place. I mean, you. you you don't really appreciate it so much growing up, uh, but afterwards you realize that that you know a lot more people than people who live like in the more populated areas, just because it was it was a tight community, um, and they were, they were like. Oh, there are probably like a half a dozen families, and it seemed like almost everybody was related to one of those half dozen families. Um, my grandfather was mayor from the time I was born until I went off to college. So your roots are deep there. Oh, very, very deep. Yeah. yeah. Um, they're even deeper on my, on the other side. I mean, that was my, my mother's father was the mayor. My, uh, my father's parents, well, they, they were my grandmother was born in a farmhouse just outside of the village. Um, and was all of sons. Um, it's it's a pretty unique, pretty unique little village. 
Yeah, well, one of the things that you said just struck me, and I loved this idea because we're in such a divided, polarized society now. And you said something like people of all walks of life came together and laughed and weren't thinking about politics. They were just having a good time and reminiscing. So um, just to be able to create a safe space like that in this era is remarkable. And one of the things you sent me some videos which I want to talk about, too, um, to look at. And the leading man in this play had, I guess, surreptitiously during the curtain calls taken a smartphone picture of that audience. And it's just a wonderful picture. You can just see the variety of people and the looks of delight on their faces. And just just that experience of people coming together that don't usually do that. Um, just kind of talk, if you can, a little about how a community theater works like that. Oh, my goodness. That, that was one of the most special moments of my life. Um, it, 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 there, there aren't events that, that bring everybody together. And for, for us to be able to do that, this just was very, very special. There were a lot of smiles in those, that audience, wasn't there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the, really, absolute delight. Yeah. 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 And just enthusiasm. You felt like they were going to jump out of their seats. They were so, <laughs> so excited. Um, and I think it's interesting, too, that it's in a church because you think yeah. of a church as a center for a community, or it used to be. And now, of course, that's fallen off. So tell us a little about that absolutely stunning church oh it's amazing the the same architect uh did the union uh, college's uh, memorial hall oh wow which is very famous for acoustics Mm -hmm. and i just recently looked at pictures of that place and it looks exactly like ours it looks like you use the same plans oh wow isn't that Um, something the difference is, uh, at some point in time, they extended the apron for a bigger stage. Um, but other th- other than that, the inside of those two buildings look look identical. The acoustics are so good you can you can hear somebody do a stage whisper if you're sitting on the steps going up to the balcony. Oh my gosh! It, it is an incredible, incredible place. Yeah! Wow! So just describe it to people that haven't seen it. How just if you could describe the outside and the inside? It's a Presbyterian uh, church, is it? It's, it's the Presbyterian church, often referred. To the old stone church, but it's officially the Esperance Presbyterian Church. It's stone; it's all stone on the outside. Um, the, the most of the building was built in 1824. That's going back a ways, mm. and put an addition. I believe it was 1898. I may be so off on that. But put an addition on, and. The addition included the uh, the area where we have our stage, and it also included the bell tower. Before that, it was just like a boxy building. Mm-hmm. But you wouldn't know from the outside that that there's any addition. It really looks all original. And the inside is very much original, um, except for a couple of outlets. Um, 
there is no running water. That's one of the, the hard things to, to work around, but we work around it. Uh, we have access to the museum next door. We need a rest or running water. We can run over there. Uh, it was it was repainted not long before we had our first show and just looked spectacular. Um, it it's it, it's worth the trip just to see the building. The museum is opened uh, weekends on uh, over the summer, and uh, you can you can ask to go inside the church if you come and visit the museum. So that's great. The museum, you said, is the old two-room schoolhouse, so the school and the church were built side by side. Part of yeah, the, the, two, the, village, the village commons. The two community centers. So I'm kind of embarrassed to tell you, I don't think I've been to Esperance. The, the, <laughs> the, com, the, com, the community commons is at the center of the village, is it, with the church and the school? And just describe what else is... It's not, it's not really in the center. You... you Go up one of the side streets and pass the fire hall, hall, which is also village uh, land. And then for some reason, there, there's a piece of private property between the village hall and and the museum. That's a, the only thing that separates them. Uh, and then there's a little park across from the uh, across from the church, village park. It wasn't there when I was young, but my grandfather was married. It had talked a lot about to make a park there. I don't know just exactly which mayor was responsible for making that happen, but I know Grandpa talked about wanting it to happen. Nice. Tell us how you got involved in becoming a director. A little about yourself first. I know you said you, you know, went off to college. What did you study and what was your career? Well, my... Um, my marks in high school weren't very good. My guidance counselor told me to put on elementary education because uh, they wanted men in elementary and I'd be more apt to get accepted. That's, <laughs> <laughs> that's my embarrassing entrance into college. Well, it worked. You got accepted. Where did you go? To Plattsburgh. Oh, yeah. To Plattsburgh. And uh, when I got to Plattsburgh, what kept me going was the theater group. After uh, one semester of being intimidated by having air marks in me and getting like crazy. Uh, after that first semester, I, I got involved with the theater group and, and, and got hooked. Um, and four years later, I found myself uh, with a degree in education and uh, <laughs> a lot of experience in theater. And what happened after that? Where did you go and what did you do? Oh, my. Um, that could be a long story. I'll try to start here. I ended up being a, a learning disability specialist and, and, and really sunk my teeth into that uh, once, once I got involved with that. And it's been kind of a tug between special education and theater ever since. Um, I back and forth between one having more of my time than than the other. Um, I've written some things for for sounding words out in particular. My my specialty was 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 sounding out uh, word attack skills. Really, what 
I like to refer to it as. Um, I even wrote a dictionary. <laughs> you wrote a dictionary? You're a modern-day Samuel Johnson? What, what was the dictionary? I wrote a dictionary with definitions based on consonants, which you're not supposed to be able to do. Um, according to, uh, you know, a linguist, linguistic experts say that the consonants don't have any meaning and the vowels have even less. And, uh, but I, I kind of, I, in looking for ways to make the language makes to learning disabled kids, I kind of, I came, came up with uh, uh, some theories of what letters might mean and, uh, and put together a dictionary. Can you Quick example. G means go, T means hold. So words like got and get and tag and tug, it's pretty obvious how they're connected to, to go and hold. Goat, it's not so obvious, but then you think about what a goat does. He goes up on the side of a mountain, he holds on the mountain. So it just seems like it's too much to be a coincidence. <laughs> oh, my God. Oh, my gosh. I never thought of words that way. <laughs> G means go, T means hold, and so there's this goat holding on, going up a mountain and holding on to the side of it. Yeah. And, it, and did that really... I'm sorry, it's, it's not so much a definition as it is what was going through the minds of the people when they came up with the word. And it seems like for kids that have trouble struggling with learning speech, that would give them almost a mnemonic device that they could use, you know, a way to, like, trigger a clue to help remember. I, I refer to this as the ultimate mnemonic device. Yeah. <laughs> it really, yeah, it really does give a hook. Wow, what a great undertaking. I wonder if there might be, you said there was a tug of war in your life between this passion of helping disabled kids and theater, but I'm wondering if there might be some intersection there because, you know, so much of theater has to do with language and getting people to understand emotion and all kinds of things through language. And also, I would think as a director working with individual players, it wouldn't be unlike a teacher working with individual students who have their own learning disabilities. Are, are there parallels there or am I stretching here? No, no, you, you're, you're, you're on point. Um, I, I find one does help the other a lot. Um, yeah. I'm better in either one of them. I'm better because of my experience in the other. It's a tug of war of how do I, how do I divide my time? <laughs> yeah, I can imagine that. But tell us about the experience of that first play, and then I want to hear about what followed that after the so-called joke became a reality. But just tell us about <laughs> tell us about that very first play um, and how it came together, how you chose the cast, what were some of the stellar moments. Well, we just we just went around and and. And tried to people's arms to be in the show more than anything. It was it wasn't like we we had an audition and we had to got a chance to choose from among a, a group of people. It was uh, it, it was kind of hard to actually fill the cast, but 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 we did. Uh, and I'm assuming you filled it with people who weren't experienced on the stage. Is that right? Oh, all, all a big. big 
I a big variety of, of ages. Uh, we we had a man in his eighties playing the part of a uh, man in his. Uh, Mid twenties, <laughs> <laughs> and in the documentary you said you said just the other, it was just the other way around. When he was young, he played an old man. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. That, that that is right. Yeah, he he did a lot of playing an old man when he was younger, and uh, and then here, when he's in his eighties, he ends up doing it the other way around. It was, <laughs> it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. And you had kids in the play too, who were just amazing singers. Um, yeah, absolutely. The I was trying to fill one of the female cast roles, and kind of talked the woman into it, but she said she would really like it if her daughter was in the in the play as well, who was like nine years old, and. Uh, I, I decided to write write a role in for her, um, as much to get mother on stage as anything. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! And I, I named I named the little girl after my mother's name because my mother had been nine years old at the time of of the nineteen thirty eight show. Oh my gosh! And what is what was your mother's name? Thelma. Thelma. Thelma, good old-fashioned name. Yeah, it is. It really is. <laughs> yeah. Your mother was that same age as that girl in 1939 yeah. when the show was written. Oh, isn't that a lovely parallel? Yeah, yeah. Well, it turned out that we had trouble filling another role, which was a male role. And it was decided we would turn that male role into a female role. But we would turn that role into a little girl, and we expanded that little girl's role into a major role in the show. Um, well, it didn't go exactly like that. We had we switched a couple things around, but anyway, we we, we gave we gave her a, a major role, and instead of being an adult, it was a, a cautious young girl. And she she more than filled the role, and she kind of she kind of stole the show in many ways. Oh wow! Isn't that something at that young age? Um, good for yeah. her. Yeah, real talent. Yeah. Well, you told me too that um, you have someone very talented who's working. Is she like a a coach for singing or? Uh, we have we have a couple of incredible. Um, people to consult with uh, in, in this show. And one of them is this uh, young lady named Ashley Slater, who was raised in the area, went to school at Crane, went to Italy and studied opera, um, learned the language so well she can pass for Italian, those other languages. And she has worked with um, the girl in our show was going to be doing some singing and it was, it was, I had a chance to uh, eavesdrop kind of on, on them, the sessions where they got together and it was, it was heartwarming to see. It was wonderful. That sounds like a big asset. And you also mentioned to me this man who put together the documentary and I'm wondering if you could just let our listeners know, is there some way they could access that documentary that, 
Uh, Mick Casale, is that how you say his name? Uh, well, no, we got two stories mixed up. We're, we, we did a documentary and he kind of consulted on, with us a little bit on that. Um, and that documentary is about the historical players, um, hysterical players. And that will be that'll be available by the first of June anyway. It, it's right at, at the, uh, and that can be you can find that on uh, the Esperance Historical Society's webpage or our Facebook page. We'll, we'll we'll make links to it there. Mick Casal is a consultant for the plays that, the, the play that we're doing, and we're incredibly blessed to have him. Uh, he is. Um, Well, he's, he's the head of screenwriting at NYU's Graduate School of Film. How's that for a credential? <laughs> That's quite a credential. <laughs> How did you hook up with him? I mean, you're not near NYU. Um, I don't know for years. Yeah, we went to Pittsburgh together and we did theater there. I see. That's... And then after, after graduated, we did theater down in Albany for a while together. He went out to Minnesota to get his uh, master's in fine arts. I spent a year with him out there doing theater out there. And uh, we, 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 when, that, when that finished, when that finished in Minnesota, I took a turn back towards Chalet, back to New York. And that's when he went and um, discovered NYU. NYU discovered him, and uh, he's been at NYU ever since. That's a marvelous connection to have. So we're running out of time so quickly. I want to hear about your current project and um, how it got interrupted by COVID and how you're still progressing. Oh, my goodness. Um, well, we're still looking. We're still looking for uh, a leading man. Uh, we're also looking for an accompanist to uh, to uh, play along with Ashley and Sertia. We we have to work around problems such as uh, there's a well we worked. There's going to be a baptism in the church. But the minister, told, the minister told the people that if, if they really wanted it in the middle of the May, there'd be a uh, there'd be a set on stage behind them, and they said they were all right with that. There's going to be this set of a of a, of a lodge in the Adirondacks behind this baptism. Oh my gosh! Well, Damn. that child's going to have a rustic and happy future. So, <laughs> just just tell us a little bit about the play itself. Oh, the play itself. It it's a it's a one of these plays from the 1930s was written as an amateur play, and then we go and butcher it. <laughs> <laughs> it was written, this particular play was written by the same person that wrote last year's show. I should say last year, two years ago now. Uh, the lady named Lillian Mortimer that wrote it, and she was a comedian at the time, comedian at the time. And she wrote a story, a play called Girl Who Forgot. There was a, there was a, 
amnesia was a common theme back in a lot of the plays in the 30s. And uh, and this play has a lot to do with a girl, well, it's all about a girl who pretended to have amnesia. Um, I, never, a, I never knew that, that that was a common theme. Do you think people were trying to forget their hardships or what? I mean, I, that's just interesting that amnesia. I, was, don't, I don't know if they just discovered that there was love mm. called amnesia or what the story is. But I, I've, I've played a lot of 30s films on Turner Classic Movies. And I'm surprised how many times amnesia pops up as being, being part of the script. So the girl who forgot you took this play by Leanne Mortimer and you said you butchered it. But what I take that to mean is you changed it around to fit the era that you're in now and the cast that you have. Is that right? Yeah. Well, yeah, it was set in a um, mansion along the Hudson and we put it in the Adirondacks in a lodge. Um, we threw some aspirants history into it. One of the things we like to do with all, with all these plays is throw a little uh, aspirants history in it. We call it aspirantizing it. <laughs> oh, I love it. Well, that word itself, aspirants, is that hope? Is that what that means? So you have it high hopes hope. when you do that? It's, it's, a, yes. it's a French word for hope, but we don't have French ancestors. It so happens that the General North, who uh, who founded Aspirance, his daughter was studying French and she named it. Isn't that interesting? Oh, my. Wow. Well, our time has rushed along. Do you have any closing thoughts that you'd like to leave our listeners with? Well, no, but if, yes, if anybody is... In, uh, in helping out the group, whether it's behind the scenes or in front of the camera, whatever, uh, please, please contact me. Um, and how would they contact you? How would they contact me? What's, uh, what's the best way? Let me I give you a phone number. If you don't mind people calling your phone, <laughs> that's up no, to you. No, okay. no, that'd be a problem. Fire me. 603. 6399. That's 518-603-6399. <laughs> so did you ever do over voices for commercials? That sounded like a very professional <laughs> voice there. Um, not really, no. no. I was on the radio a few times, but I, I, I never did voiceovers. But you went into fun. that you went into that voice very, very naturally. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> 